Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you guys had a great weekend and that you're ready for today because I got an exciting show for you all. MMA, as we know it, is changing, and I'll tell you why. Plus, Nate Diaz says he and Conor McGregor started the Super Fight era, and I got a big question for you guys about the middleweights. And speaking of that division, let's begin today's episode by recapping the incredible fight that we saw on Saturday night. Whoo, guys, where do I begin, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin with some caffeine to clear my throat. Let's go over the weekend because this is not just about Kelvin and Cannoneer, by the way. Let's jump off there, in fact. Kelvin and Cannonier, hell of a fight. It was very good. I was a little annoyed at the announce team because they were insisting that Cannonier was winning the fight. I thought they were wrong, for one. I still maintain that they are wrong. However, I'm now in a little bit of a weak position, considering the announce team saw it the exact same way as the judges. So, okay, Chael's on third base wearing a catcher's mitt. That's not the first time. I like to sit back and talk about judges, but I don't actually want to sit at that desk and do it myself. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. But it was a very competitive match, and Cannonier ended up getting a whole lot of respect for his defense, which generally is not how a fight is done. I mean, generally, under the 10-8 must system, and it really doesn't matter if you're talking unified rules or if you're talking Queensberry rules, it's your offense that wins you the fight. But Cannonier's defense was beautiful. I mean, I've got to tell you, he took some really hard shots, but he slipped a whole bunch of them, and his takedown, his wrestling defense was nearly perfect. I have to say that to Jared. You guys know I'm a homer. You know I'm Team Kelvin. But I still want to give Jared his credit. And to give him his credit, you got to understand how well Kelvin fought. Kelvin did everything right. My big fear going into this fight, as a Kelvin advocate, was that he doesn't mix things up. When he does mix things up, it's very well. He doesn't have to get those takedowns with the double leg or the single leg to the body locks. He doesn't have to drag his opponent to the mat, but he must threaten it at all times. And when Kelvin's not out there threatening the wrestling... The hands and the kicks just don't come together the same for him. So when he does put them together and make sure that he's mixing of the arts, gets damn good results. This was one of those situations. Kelvin did everything right. There was nothing after that fight to take him back to the hotel, sit him down in front of the computer, open this up, replay it, and show him what he did wrong. He did it. Kelvin did everything right. He brought his skills. That was his best effort. He held up in championship rounds. He got knocked down, I believe it was in the fourth round. He spun around, popped to his feet to the point that it even impressed Paul Felder. Paul Felder's hard to impress with toughness because Paul's so goddamn tough. Paul was impressed. Kelvin wrestled. Boom, Chael got what he wanted. Cannoneer did a great job defending. He stopped a lot of those takedowns. One time that he did go down, I also believe that was the fourth round, he pops right back up. Cannoneer I'm talking about now. Cannoneer didn't do hips forward, hand fight, turn and face your opponent, cut back. No, he used the fence. He used the fence as a tag team partner. If you're a fighter and or a trainer, go and watch the stand-up that Cannoneer did. It's not on accident. 
Many guys are doing this. I maintain that Bisping started it. Bisping was the first guy to realize if I can get to the fence, I can get up to my feet really easy because now he can't push me forward. He can't knock me off balance as I'm stepping one foot at a time. Cannonier did that. Look, Cannonier looked awesome. He really did. I maintain for you that one of the reasons that Cannonier is so good with the intangibles, which is the conditioning, which is the heart and is the toughness, largely has to do with him changing weights from heavyweight to 205 down to 185. The discipline that it takes... The hard work and the effort that it takes to beat the scale has a built-in byproduct that it helps your cardio tremendously. So, I share that because Kelvin is now five and six. He's won one match of his last six. He's still a main event guy. He went into this fight ranked number three in the world. He will come out of it no lower than fourth. And he might swap with Cannoneer and go to five. He's a top five guy. So if you go read his record, you're going to be greatly misled. It is one of the most deceptive records in all of MMA. I forgot it was true. I forgot that he has lost five of his last six. I didn't know until I saw it on paper and I didn't think it was right. And I looked a little, oh, no, that is right. But he's fighting the hardest guys in the hardest position, which is the main event, sometimes on short notice, sometimes extremely little notice. He's doing everything right, and his skills look fantastic. He ran into another stud. It's as simple as that. And life, particularly in sport, is not as easy, and it's not as obvious as looking at a result and using that as an indicator to the performance. As an athlete and a coach, you want your guy or yourself to go out there and focus on the performance, not the outcome. When you start thinking about how is this going to go and what is the outcome, you start to get nervous, you, st you start clinging to, I just can't lose, I just have to win. You don't go out there and flow and you don't go out there and perform. I thought his performance was very good. I mean, I must say that. The so number three guy taking on the number five guy, stuff's going to happen and stuff did happen. I do not agree with the narrative that this was a runaway fight by Cannoneer. I ju that's just simply not what I saw. And even if the judges and the announcers, even if I'm on my own here, I got one piece of support, which is the strike count. Kelvin had the strike count in his favor. Two takedowns to none, just by example. 200 punches thrown to 280, by example. 89 landed to 71 landed, by example. So I was seeing this the right way. I wasn't looking through, the, through some kind of rose-colored glasses. It was a close fight. I don't dispute the outcome. I'm sharing with you in case you guys missed it. This is what happened. It was a great fight with two great guys. The right guy won. The end. Meanwhile, SummerSlam's going on. Now, before you guys go, Chael, that's pro wrestling and that's rotten garbage. I'm well aware that that product is garbage. I got it. It's awful. I'm sharing with you that it happened because SummerSlam was on a Saturday whereas traditionally the pay-per-views are on a Sunday, and our own Brock Lesnar appeared. Now, Brock doesn't have a lot to work with, right? I mean, you walk through life with a flat top, and you're 300 pounds, you're going to get stared at. So what do you do with that? I think that he's done as great of a job dealing with the plight that is the hand that he was dealt as anyone I've seen. And not for nothing, he comes out, he started with a stupid haircut of a flat top. He comes out with an even stupider haircut. And I don't know what you call this. It was like short on the sides and long on top. And then he even stuck it in a ponytail like a fool. He looked kind of cool. 
not for nothing, and this would usually be the time where I come out and I use this to tease Brock Lesnar. He looked kind of cool, and there's a real uh, a belief in wrestling created by Vince McMahon himself that every character must be tweaked every 12 to 14 months. Even if you just tweak something ever so slightly, it must happen. It's never happened with Brock, and I've always observed that, and I've always wondered why. Now, Brock is an anomaly. Brock has an aura, an era about him. Brock is a star. Always has been. Back in our wrestling days, when Brock came into the building, you could feel it. There was just something around him. But they never tweaked his gimmick. They never changed his character. This is the first time that I can recall. And Brock started in wrestling in like 2001. So I'm telling you guys, every 12 months is the belief. They didn't even change it every 12 years. It took 20 years, and the only thing that they did to change it is they made one ridiculous haircut even more ridiculous, but it worked. It really did. And there was something there, and Brock has never been a team player. I'm always surprised at the push that he gets. If you're going to get a push and you're going to get to be a star in a sport that isn't real, right? You think that the decision makers would want to give that to a guy who they could count on, who was loyal and who showed up. Because as much as I'm telling you there's an aura and an era brought Brock Lesnar, I'm right about that. Could he headline a WrestleMania? You bet your ass, he has. Could he also jerk the curtain and just be one of the guys like the big show or Bray Wyatt wash out of the business and nobody knows it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's however they want to write that in. And I have always been surprised that he always gets the power of the pin on his side. I watched Brock play a game between Vince and Dana repeatedly and win. Even when both guys know the game and they know what he's doing, that, well, this is the time. This is the one time he's being sincere. Let's continue conversations. Fair game by Brock. Completely fair game. But nonetheless, it's impressive. He knows a little more than he lets on. Brock is a little sharper than maybe we acknowledge. Because he just did the same thing with Vince and AWE or AEW. All elite wrestling. AEW who generally did want him. And they got a big bank account, and they're ready to open it up for Brock. So he pings that back and forth, gets Vince to pay a whole bunch of money, or you guys, the shareholders, to pay a whole bunch of money. They bring him in. I'm fine with it. I get it all. There's even a level of business where you would pay for a guy just to stop your competitor from getting him. I get the whole thing. What does surprise me is they then put Brock at the top of the bill. So you have a guy like Brock who comes in, riding in on a six and instantly goes over John Cena, who's never flinched and been there from the beginning. Who's never flinched, who never gave problems, who never pinged this back and forth, who never talked to the competitor, who never did anything unloyal to you, and Brock on day one gets a bigger paycheck for less towns he's got to make, and he goes over the babyface in John Cena. It surprises me. That's all I'm saying. I have no other analysis than that. It seems as though a guy that continues to burn you, you would demote at least on his way out. Knowing full well that when his contract is up, he's going to come back, even if he's ancient. He always does. And knowing he's going to mess with you when he does it, you would think somebody would have the smarts on the way out to demote him. But they never seem to do that. They do just enough for him to pass the torch, shine somebody up, so that by the time he plays the game and gets done with his vacation, he can come back and go over everybody. This isn't an insult to Brock. It's a huge compliment if you're not picking up on it. Whoever is advising Brock 
It's doing a damn good job. And they've done it again. And they've won yet again. Meanwhile, back up a day, CM Punk returns. Now, that was pretty sweet. And I must tell you, he returned in Chicago, his hometown. I can remember the Stone Cold era. When Stone Cold Steve Austin and Austin 316, and this was so big, they were selling Austin 316 t-shirts in the mall. I do not believe they've ever done that before since. I don't think right now you could walk into a mall. Like, Nordstrom's over here, and Macy's is over here, and now there's a shop, and you can buy pro wrestling memorabilia. I don't think you could do that right now. Austin was so big, that's exactly what you could do. And I can tell you, everybody in town was wearing it. And I was in a college town, maybe it was a youth thing, but I can tell you, everyone was wearing it. If you didn't get to that store in time, they were going to be sold out. He was huge. And I remember watching that going, he's the biggest star ever. It's called a pop. You walk through the curtain, your music hits, fans see you for the first time, boom, that reaction they give, that's called a pop, okay? The pop that Austin used to get, I remember thinking this is the biggest of all time, but I wanted to confirm that, and this was just before the internet was really a big deal, so I even had to go to something called Blockbuster Video. Remember those? And I rented 1983 wrestling, Hogan versus Andre the Giant. And I just watched a few Hulk Hogan tapes, and I was wrong. Austin was not the biggest pop. He didn't even touch Hogan in Hogan's heyday. But now I got to fast forward to what I saw Punk get in Chicago on All Elite Rest, AEW, the other night. It was massive. It was massive. Is this short-term memory by me? Do I need to go back to Blockbuster? Do I need to go watch Hogan walk out in the Pontiac Silverdome, juxtapose that about, uh, against Stone Cold walking out at MGM and CCM Punk? Between those three, and there is no other exception, it was the most warm and beautiful response an athlete has ever gotten. So that's what went down on Saturday night between Cannoneer and Gaslam. And now we zoom out to take a look at the division as a whole. There's one huge thing I'm wondering, and I gotta get into it. I'm missing something. I'm missing something. It's right in front of me and I'm not seeing it. And I don't know if I took a day off. I don't know if I tuned in late one night. I don't know how it got past me, but what is going on at 185 pounds, specifically with Israel Adesanya? If you guys know that answer, I can get up and go home. But I'm missing it. Somewhere along the way, we were told he was going to fight Robert Whitaker. But there's no fight announced between Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. Am I wrong about that, guys? Am I wrong about that? A week ago, Eugene Berryman who trains Adesanya and possibly manages him, did an interview and stated, if Darren Till wins two fights, we will not give Whitaker the fight. We'll take on Darren Till. But wait a minute. If Till wins two fights, that alone is going to take seven months. Then he's going to have to recover and train and press tour and go into Izzy. A year out? Is Izzy planning to wait a year? And is the fight with Whitaker not a done deal? If the fight with Whitaker isn't a done deal, then who's Adesanya going to fight? Who the hell is Whitaker going to fight? And why didn't that get done? Which, absent of any of those answers, leads me to believe I'm missing something, right guys? This was announced and I, I missed it. This came out in a headline and I clicked on a different site. This was on a show somewhere and Chael was on the wrong channel, right? Whitaker must be fighting Adesanya. He's got to be. But now there's talk out of nowhere after Cannoneer 
gets the jump on Kelvin, even said by Cannoneer, I hope I get a title fight next. Hope you get a title. Is that open? Is that an option? You're telling me Adesanya does not have a partner, and moreover, you're telling me the partner wasn't Whitaker? When did this happen? Where was I? Adesanya did an interview. I think he was talking to Helwani. But he was talking about the loss to Jan Blachowicz. And he said, I, I don't mind that at all. I do not regret, even what I know now, going up and trying. I don't regret learning about that top control, about the positions, learning the different strengths, learning that for right now, until I'm dedicated and fully commit to light heavyweight, I need to stay in my weight class. Why would I regret any of that? It was a different day. It's behind me, and I move on. That's not just things to say. That's exactly where you'd like an athlete to be. That's where you would like to be. But a lot of times, it's, you're saying the right stuff. With Anasanya, that's a shoot. It's straight. He does not mind. He's a competitor. And what happened yesterday is behind you. And you want to you want to break that down even smaller as an athlete. You want that the night of. Round one doesn't go your way. When you come out for round two, round one is behind you. When you're in round two, trying to win that one, you're not thinking about round three. You want to slow that down and back that up as many times as you can. And as simple as this to say, I will just tell you as an athlete, it's very hard to do. You're running a race. All you got to do is put one foot in front of the other, but it's hard. Your chest is pounding. You're tired. There's people around. When's my next drink? Uh, where's the nearest bathroom? Is this thing almost done? Can I make it 10 more kilometers? It's just one of those things. But all you have to do is one foot in front of the next. Do that enough times, you make it to the end of the race. doesn't work that way. Very hard to not do what's called taking inventory. Very hard to not look ahead. Very hard to not remember what just happened. It's hard. It's a skill. But Adesanya does have it. He showed us that in fights. He is reset in between rounds. Go see Adesanya versus Gatslam. He had to reset and then he had to reset again. But the greats can do that. The greats aren't afraid to get beat. The greats aren't afraid to go out there and compete. And people always want to talk about MMA needs to be treated and looked at and viewed like other mainstream sports. But then the athletes who are happy to bang that drum when it serves them don't want to go out and do what other mainstream sports do. Do you think that Brett Favre do you think that Peyton Manning, do you think that Tom Brady sits down and changes whether or not he's going to suit up on any given Sunday when he looks at the schedule and realizes the Jets are coming to town as opposed to the Bills? Do you see where that gets silly and ridiculous? Do you see where MMA isn't like those other sports, but MMA guys don't act like those other sports? They only say it when the narrative serves them, and it all has to do with one thing, which is pay me more money. It's one of those tough spots. And when you see somebody like Adesanya, who does everything right every single time, I encourage you to start copying him. And it's not just him, quite frankly. Volkanovsky's out of that same gym. You got Dan Hooker who's out of that same gym. I don't know if I could be more impressed with a fighter than I am with Dan Hooker. I look what Hooker had to go through just to get to the fight with Chandler. And then he was there like another 73 days or something. You guys remember that story? where he couldn't get out of Fight Island, he couldn't even get home. Feeling bad for yourself is hard enough. Feeling bad for yourself alone, a little bit harder. Feeling bad for yourself alone in a different country? Hooker never complained once. Hooker never made an excuse once. I mean, there's something going through that team, and the only guy I know that leads that team is Eugene Berryman. If I knew anyone else, I'd give them credit too, but I don't know. I don't know who the assistant coach there is. 
I don't know who manages that team. I don't know who talks and philosophizes for that team, aside from Eugene Berriman. So I got to give Coach Berriman the credit. I think Coach Berriman won Coach of the Year, by the way. I think he was acknowledged from the community. I know he did with Errol Hawani. Hawani had a show, it was like an end of the year, it was on ESPN2, it was a really big deal, and Hawani at least recognized him, but I mean, there's something special going on with those guys. It's a very special mindset. And to have the skills and to have this level of success from some kickboxing gym in New Zealand, guys, this is incredible stuff. I don't want you to miss it. It's going on right before you. I, I, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to see it. But I also want you to help me out as it pertains to the middleweight division. Why is Cannoneer thinking he can get a title shot? Why is Barryman talking about Darren Till might get a title shot? Why is Whitaker and Adesanya not officially on? Where was I, guys? I had to have missed something. Right? Coming up in a moment, I'll shift gears from Israel Adesanya to a guy that's on an even bigger level of stardom than Izzy is. That's coming up in a moment, but first, here's a word about today's sponsor, Element. Let me tell you guys a recovery drink I've added to my post-workout routine, Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with tons of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. You might be saying, tons of sodium? Well, yeah, we don't realize it, but when we sweat, sodium is the first electrolyte we use. Electrolyte imbalances can cause symptoms like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness. It's not the best feeling when you're trying to get in a daily solid workout. Whether you're in the wrestling room or hitting the pavement doing a run in the summer heat, everyone needs their electrolytes. What I appreciate most about this product is it's formulated with everything you need and nothing you don't. None of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I was pleased to find out that Element is the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting and many other Olympic athletes. Navy SEALs use it, moms and exercise enthusiasts. Everyone needs their electrolytes. I drink Element almost every day to recover after my workouts and when I don't, I can feel the difference. Element has a very special offer for my listeners only. Order a free Element sample pack and you only have to pay for the cost of shipping. That's it. Claim your free sample pack at drinklmnt.com slash chael. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com backslash chael for your free sample pack. Nate Diaz. And you know, the sport's more fun with Nate. Can we at least all agree on that? Whether you like Nate or, or you don't like him, can we at least agree the sport is more fun when the Diaz's are around? I digress, but they come out. And we've got a lot of Nate lately. You used to not be able to get a Nate interview. You couldn't see Nate fights. Now he just fought. He's calling for another fight this year, and he's given a lot of interviews. Not to mention his brother's coming up. And right, we're having a little bit of fun, finally. Nate came out. He said, my fight with Conor McGregor kicked off the super fight era. Is he right? Because he makes a very good point, timeline-wise. And that was a super fight. And by the way... Why don't we bring back the super fight? I mean, that was a real thing. We brought this BMF business, but then we decided we're going to do the BMF and it's one night only and there's going to be no lineage and they're not going to defend. That's the part of that idea we need to rethink because the idea 
on its face. It was brilliant. It was an absolutely fantastic idea. It was a media sensation. And you wouldn't believe how many media reporters who have to be straight men in a suit, sit in a studio working for an organization. That was as close to getting to curse on the air as they ever got to, and they were getting away with it. Well, they're going to fight for the BMF, <laughs> like laughing with other people in the studio in the control room because you said BMF, but the F actually stands for. I mean, everybody had fun with it. There wasn't a there wasn't a news reporter, a sports guy out there that would not bring up the BMF belt just for the childish factor that they knew what the F stood for, even though they were given an acronym. I mean, right, this was a piece of marketing genius, but it created an opportunity. It created a huge opportunity. Now there's another belt. There's a reason to be here. There's a goal and a dream with recognition, but we need lineage to it. That belt needs to be defended, but now I just want to talk about, now that I've proven my point, I believe successfully, super fights, guys. We don't have to bring anything up. The super fight belt has been here since 1993. The super fight belt precedes Zufa, which precedes WME. It was back here in the SEG days. Why did it, why did it get retired? I think that Diaz makes an excellent point. I do think that him and Connor was a super fight. Of course it was. And it should have been for the super fight belt. And the super fight belt does not come with a lineage, or at least doesn't have to. The super fight belt can be one night. This is a super fight. We're going to recognize it with a belt. Perhaps that belt doesn't get defended. It can, but perhaps it doesn't. And I would argue the same thing for BMF. And I think we need to clear this up. I really do. There needs to be another BMF fight. Absolutely there does. Does there have to be a lineage? I would prefer there were, which means that Masvidal puts the belt up. I would prefer that. But let's just say we find two BMFs and they're in the heavyweight division. Why can't we run them out? It's not a heavyweight BMF. We just do BMF again, by example, and it's one night only. Fine. I suggest we just call it a super fight. I don't think that we need the Ackerman. I don't think we have to have the fun with it, as successful as it was. Maybe Dana's right, and it was, but that was a one-night thing. Bring the super fight belt back. Bring that opportunity back. Let's figure out later if that's going to be defended or if it's going to be recognized in one night. But there needs to be a reason that we're out here. Look, fighting goes in order of three. Specifically, grudge. Second, competitive architecture. Third, title. The boys don't have any real thing to fight about here. Throw a belt down in between them. Let them fight over this. It works. As a guy who dedicated his life to get that belt, it works. You will change your lifestyle. You will change your pursuit. You will change the way you look at competition when that belt's up. All right, great. Everybody gets it. But if you don't have a personal beef, the fight doesn't make sense due to competitive architecture where they both got these beautiful resumes and you just got to see the, these two wonderful athletes go out there and, and clash and there's no belt. What are we doing here? It's hard. It just makes it hard. Why make things hard? Make it easy and make it more exciting. And I, I do feel at times that promoters miss the absolute motivation and drive that level of recognition brings. The athletes want to be recognized. They may not come out and say it that clearly, but make no mistake, they have egos too. And they would like to be recognized for their hard work. They are willing to sacrifice. They are willing to claw. They are willing to sleep on couches. They are willing to not know where their next meal is. They are willing to put life and resume building on hold. It is that important to them. But the more pieces of recognition we can have, and in this industry it's done in the form of a belt, the better. The more opportunity, the better. 
I was just listening to what Nate said. I took it a little bit of a different direction, but I do think that Nate's right. I do think, historically speaking, this big fight started popping out. I love the word super fight. I love it. I hate the word money fight. I hate when guys call for a money fight. When they say, I'm not going to do something unless it's a money fight or this. Shut up. That's never worked. Nobody's ever given a goddamn, ever, zero times through history of what a purse was for a fight. It's never mattered. It's never mattered to the point that Dana doesn't even disclose it. The commission will reveal something, but you could then have a LOIs with the company. You could have back-end participation through the organization that has nothing to do with it, and Dana protects that. He doesn't go out and share it to the world, but there's also no marketing arm or benefit for sharing it to the world. Unless you want your cousins and some aunt and uncles who you've never met and all, all your high school classmates calling up and asking you to borrow some, some dough. Believe me, if that sold, if that draw, if that worked, it wouldn't be protected. It doesn't, so it's not. Belts do. Belts do work. I don't want to hear about a money fight, but I wouldn't mind hearing about a super fight. I would not mind that. I like to see that brought back. I like what Nate said, but Nate's also in an interesting category where whatever Nate does is going to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be competitive architecture. It doesn't have to be grudging. It doesn't have to be a belt. He's the one guy that's found a way through the system. Conor McGregor, quite frankly, is the other. There's no third. There's no third. If you wanted to do it in order and you had to have a third, you'd put Masvidal in there. Masvidal is a massive star, whatever he is going to do. He looks as though he's pretty locked and trying to find himself a way back to the championship. I love that and I respect it. I just would remind him he doesn't have to. He's in this very weird area where he is now a star. And it goes in that order. It's Connor followed by Nate. If I'm wrong, it's Connor followed by Masvidal. But those are your three most bankable stars in MMA right now. Diaz, McGregor, Masvidal. I'd like to see the super fight come back. I will admit it. I want to see more than anything. I want to see the money fight go away. And I would like to see a recognition for it in the form of a belt. If you had asked me a few years ago, I would have told you Tony Ferguson belonged in the same conversation as Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, and George Masvidal. But times have changed for Tony, and it's got me thinking about what his future might look like. Khabib came out. He was weighing in on Tony Ferguson. And Khabib said he should retire. And Khabib wasn't rude about it at all. Very matter of fact. said, look, Tony's 37 years old and he hasn't won a fight in a period of time. And time to, to move on. Kevin Lee came out. He was talking about Tony. And he said, I don't even want a rematch with Tony. Because it would be so lopsided. It's not even interesting to me. So here's my question to you guys. Are they right or is that rude? Now, it's certainly we can all agree it wasn't designed to be nice. It wasn't designed to make a guy feel good. But are they right? And that is a little bit of a tougher question. Because Tony's slowdown, if that's what we're going to call it, was overnight. It was absolutely overnight. He's getting ready for UFC 246. He gets put in a pandemic. Everything gets weird. You guys remember that. He ends up making weight on the date he was supposed to fight Khabib, and he has to weigh in two weeks later for the actual fight with Gaethje. He's a big favorite. He's just supposed to go out there, take care of business. Gaethje's gone. In all fairness, Gaethje agreed with that. Gaethje thought this is how this is going to go. Gaethje didn't have a ton of time for that fight. It was a cash grab. He's got his built-in excuse. He's going to make a pile full of money. 
right? You get taken care of if you do a short notice fight. That's a favor. You're not likely to win. He did the favor. He's going to get a big paycheck. I only share that with you because if Gaethje told you anything different, like, I knew I was going to win the whole time and I was completely confident, he's mistelling the way that that happened. He got brought in. Gaethje's a competitor. He wasn't scared to do it. But there was nobody more surprised that night at how one-sided that fight was, particularly in the stand-up realm, than Justin Gaethje. Great. It's what dreams are made of. But his dream was made, and it was of that. Share that with you because many of us were able to chalk that up to whatever happened happened, but it was one bad night, which everybody has. we just never seen one from Tony. Tony was so consistent, we'd never seen one like that. Moreover, the fact of how vicious and brutal that fight was from stand-up. That was another very big surprise, but that also, because of the surprise, added to the narrative that we all wanted to believe, which was, it was a bad night. You add that in with the fact that there's a pandemic going on, that he's bounced around and what the training was, that he decided to make weight two weeks before. Boom. Throw that one out. Let's bring Tony back in. So we do. We see the Charles Oliveira fight. And ultimately, it's, it's the Benny Darush fight. Now, there was some consistencies, even though those fights were different. The one with Gaethje was purely stand-up. The next two, the six rounds, right? Charles and Benny both went all three. The next six rounds of Tony's career was all grappling. Tony was on bottom. He wasn't able to find submissions. He's on bottom. Now, but here's my question. I'm laying out for you what happened. I'm just stating what happened. As a reminder to ask this question, is this strategic? Is there something within the strategy of Tony Ferguson that could change, that would change the outcomes? And a lot of times when you're losing decisions, you don't have to redo everything. You just have to make something to make those people decide something different, right? Decision is just that. They interpreted and were influenced. How do I make them reinterpret and influence them to come to my direction, which sometimes can be done with strategy. Now, Tony spent a lot of times on bottom. I think in Charles Oliveira, most specifically, Charles turned out to be a damn good wrestler and none of us knew that that was going to happen. In all fairness, the same way that Gaethje was surprised, I argue, that he got the best of Tony in the striking. I think Tony was surprised that Oliveira was able to take him down. I know as a viewer, I was. Maybe I didn't give enough credit to Oliveira. But the way he stalked and backed him into the fence and shot those double legs, it was beautiful. He did a great job. Still leaves me with the same question of, is there something that can change, right, with Tony, with his approach, that would reasonably get us a different result, particularly at the age of 37, which was what could be brought in. Because as much as we can clearly identify that Tony lost those fights, no disagreement, we have to also concede there were some good things he did in those fights. Tony Ferguson never backed down once. Tony Ferguson never got knocked down once. Tony Ferguson never got tired and gave up once. Tony Ferguson didn't lack the ability to mount an offense once. I mean, he came out there like a true fighter and showed some grit and some heart, and he went out and fought great. That's the hard stuff to do. You can teach somebody how to do a double, how to finish a double. You can teach them to shrimp. You can teach them to get up off the bottom. You can't teach them that, and Tony still got it. So what is the problem? Why are these fights changing? I haven't fully identified it myself. I think that that Tony has a, a little touch of the Kevin Holland in him at least in those last two fights, which was he cooperated with allowing them go to the ground. He believed, and this is Tony in this case, between the rubber guard and the elbows that he could do more damage on the ground. I think he cooperated. 
I don't think Tony is that easy to take down, and I don't think Tony had to be taken down. I think he allowed himself to be taken down. Is it enough to sway it? Moving forward, what is it that he can do different? That's all I'm asking. Does he need a different camp? Does he need somebody different to train with? I don't know that I see that. When an athlete shows up hungry and gritty, and when an athlete is in perfectly good shape, I would say the people that he's around have done their job. Is it just a skill level? Is Tony now physically weaker than he used to be? That comes with age. Is he noticeably slower than he used to be? That comes with age. I didn't see that. I didn't see it. I saw him in there with some damn good fighters. If they were more competitive, even if he had lost all three of them, I don't think we're having this back and forth. They weren't overly competitive, but he was still in there with some damn good fighters. I mean, of those three guys that I just named, Darush, Gaethje, and Oliveira, Two of them have been champions within the last calendar year. I mean, are you aware of that? You want to sit around and give Tony a hard time? He lost to Gaethje, who became champion that night. He lost to Oliveira, who became champion his next night. He lost to Darush, who's won his last eight contests. And how do we really know where Tony stacks up? And I'll personally, I'll just bring myself into this real fast, but I had a fight. I changed weight classes, went up to 205 pounds. And at the very end of the show, they're recapping the night. And at the very end of the show, I remember Joe Rogan was the last one before they signed off. And Joe said, Chael Sonnen proved tonight he cannot go with the elite of the division. And I remember seeing that and going, I can't let that in. I cannot let that statement affect me. I proved tonight I can't go with the elite of the division. I proved I couldn't go with that guy tonight. There's a vastly different statement. That guy beat me. For sure, tonight. You don't think I'm going to learn from that? You don't think that's going to make me hungry and motivated? You don't think I'm going to come back better? You don't think I have the right to adapt and adjust to a new weight class? I fought 13 world champions, including that guy. I fought four after that guy and beat three of them at the same weight class. This isn't to shine Chael's wheels, but I am telling you, to personalize this, there's things that you learn, even in defeat, where you get better. There's adjustments that you can make strategically that can change outcomes and decisions. So the number one thing that Tony needs to do right now is not listen to this other noise. Those are competitors within the division that are self-serving. They're not looking out for you. They're not part of your team. Okay, great. We all understand that. But then Tony does need to have a good, hard look, a good, hard look, the man in the mirror and have a conversation. What am I going to do different? If I don't think Tony's slow, and I know, I know he still works hard. He's in damn good shape. There's been times where he's cooperated, in my opinion. And there's another side where he has stacked the deck against himself or he has had it stacked against him in the level of competition he has to take on. Of his last three opponents, two of them are world champions? I mean, in all fairness, give Tony some due here. Give him a little credit for going out there in the first place. Give him a little respect. Because you're not going to get your way. He's not going to stop. So you want to be a dick about it and tell him he can't do it? Or you want to encourage a guy and try to elevate him a little bit? I know what camp I'm in. I want to encourage Tony Ferguson. Before I head out for today, I want to talk big picture with you guys because there's some trends happening in MMA right now that we've never seen before. And it may totally change the business of the sport as we know it. Guys, here's where I want to start with. I want you to clear your minds of everything you know about the business of MMA. 
everything that you know about the sport and the way that the sport is conducted. And the reason I'm telling you that is we're starting to see some shakeups. Let's shake the whole damn thing up. Let's tear it down if you want. Don't put yourself as a fight into any kind of a box. You got a team around you telling you this is what makes sense. Anybody says to you this makes sense, fire them. Even if you don't want to do it to their face, you don't want the confrontation. As soon as you say, well, this just makes sense, let that guy go. That's a red flag. You don't know what you're doing. If he ever brings up your ranking and or what an opponent is ranked, if he encourages you to take somebody on based on the ranking because he thinks it makes sense, block him. If he encourages you to not take somebody on based on a ranking, block him. Those are fools. That is low-hanging fruit. That is the stating of the obvious. Get rid of those guys. We are seeing a shakeup in MMA like I have never seen, and I don't know where it's going to go. This thing is either going to get nipped instantly, or we are going to be plagued with it and have to deal with it. And we're going to find out in the real short term. If you want to back up to what Dustin Poirier is going through right now, where he is a clear number one contender, everybody admits it, but he's not that interested in fighting the champion. That is fascinating. I do not predict for you that that's going to happen. I predict for you the number one contender will be fighting the champion, or he won't be fighting at all. That's what I would guess. But if I'm wrong, and if that door and opportunity opens, you are going to see a major changing, fundamentally speaking, to the way that this business is ran. We're seeing it up top, too. If we can't get Francis and Gone in there together, if you have a number one contender who doesn't fight the champion or the champion doesn't fight him any way you want to do it, and that's exactly what those belts of Undisputed and Interim represent. If somebody calls out Gone and says, I don't want to fight France, I want to fight for the Interim Championship. Why do you want to fight for that? Who who cares why the guy wants to? The guy said he wants to. Let's let's hear his case. And if Gone accepts the fight, John Jones steps in right now. John is terrified to fight Francis. We understand that, but it's a size issue. Most people are terrified to fight Francis. It's just too damn big. I don't think that John would be as terrified to fight Gone. Now, John doesn't have the sense that God gave Geese to come out and create this narrative and get this back and forth going. Francis doesn't want to fight Gon. Francis keeps acting like he wants to fight John. Francis is getting some real bravery because he knows that John won't take the fight. So he's calling for a fight that he knows isn't going to happen because the other guy already showed his cards and he's scared of it. I get it, right? I've been to the show. I've seen the strings. That's what you're going on, uh, seeing going on there from a psychological standpoint. But Gon could come in, upset Francis, shake everything up, and get Jones's attention if those guys could just work together. And now all of a sudden, John's right where he wants to be. Big payday, back on top, got a belt around his waist. Everything's cool in the gang. It would be a very interesting direction to see it going in that way. I'm seeing George Masvidal. You wonder where this is coming from. Masvidal, as early as today, was on Errol Hawani's show and said, I will fight Covington at some point. Whether it's in the ring or it's in the streets, he and I are going to fight at some point. Why? Why stop there? Why make it at some point? And again, I know, I know why. The way that we see MMA right now, you can only book one fight at a time. Says who? Show me where that rule is written down. Why can Masvidal and not Colby make a deal right now? We could even set a date. In November, Colby is going to fight in Kamar Usman. Why can he not sign a contract now? and agree to fight Masvidal in March. Maybe it'll be a title fight. Maybe it won't. Either way, it's five rounds. Rules are going to be the same. Unified. Weight class is the same at 170. I need an opponent. You need an opponent. Why can't they agree now? If Masvidal is saying they're for sure going to fight at some point, why can't we agree to it now? What in the hell difference does it make? Who says you can't have two at a time? Who says that a guy who's a number one contender, which Colby is, can't go out right now and pick who he's going to defend against first and pick a date? 
I realize it hasn't been done. I'm telling you, we're in a different place right now. And if we have to start offering guys, if we have to start calling their bluff, because that's all this is, by all of them, they're all bluffing. Been plenty of chances for Masvidal to fight Kobe. Did it happen? Rumors and the ultimate fighters. November of last year is the first time I heard these rumors. I only share that. Let's start calling guys on. You say you're going to fight. You guarantee you're going to fight him. Let's pick a date. Well, I've got to see how he does with, with Usman first. Why? Why? You didn't say you're going to fight him if he beats Usman. You say you're going to fight him if he's the champion. You didn't say anything about that. You said, I guarantee I'm going to fight him. Great, let's book the fight. That might ultimately be the place that we have to get to. I don't understand it. I'm trying to understand it. i got to dumb myself down. i got to really dumb myself down. I came from the streets of Westland. It just didn't work that way. You just could not say you were going to fight somebody and then for any reason find a way not to and save face. No, you didn't have to go do every fight. Absolutely not. That's not how we behaved. That's not how anybody behaves. But you don't save face. You admit you take it on the chin. I lost. He got me. I aligned my troops. I talked tough. He did too. I thought he'd back down. He did it. He wins. It's one of those things. In this sport, we just move on and we just let him get away with it. And that is your guys' fault. You're the ones that let him get away with it. Well, you know, it wasn't enough money, or he didn't have enough time, or his shoulder hurt. What, what kind of excuses are these? I could never imagine saying those words, but I also could imagine being in your spot and accepting when somebody else says them. There are no rules in this. There's nothing that says gone has to fight and gone. If there was something for sure that said that, aside from it makes historical accuracy, if there's anything aside from that, so why don't those two go fight somebody else? And if you're a heavyweight within division, why don't you start calling out Gon? Why don't you start calling out Francis? It's all fair game. If Poirier, the number one contender, doesn't have to fight for the title. Now, the champion has to defend against anybody, or he's a closet champion. He, he would be eligible to be stripped. Number one contender, that's not true. Again, through for historical accuracy... You work your way up, you become a number one contender, and then you go and fight for the highest prize. But there's nothing that says you have to. And if you get a guy that's in Masvidal's spot, where you've already identified who you're going to fight, and you absolutely promise to the world it's going to happen, why don't we pick a date and why don't you guys sign a contract to fight? What difference would it make? It could only get better. Perhaps he brings the championship belt with him. Perhaps he doesn't. But just because Colby already has a, a plan with Usman, doesn't preclude somebody else and Colby making an agreement. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, search your welcome, and leave a review like Doc, who says, always informative and entertaining. Well, thank you, Doc. And thanks to all of you guys. I will be back on Friday for my official prediction of Woodley versus Paul, but until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.